Welcome to the latest edition of the ESC podcast. You'll join the conversation with Adam Pope and Roger Armstrong talking about how he does, how Adam does his broadcasts um, for BBC Leeds. Anyway, listen to the conversation and I hope you'll enjoy it. So you, you're working at home uh, all the time, Adam? Um, not, not all the time. Um, we um, it's, a, it's a bit of a strange one for us at the moment. So... We, I'm in maybe three. T- the office is in Leeds, yeah. so, and if we're doing the show, we have a sh- show six to seven every night. So if if I'm on that, then I'm I'm in the office. To, although it, it is possible to do it remotely, um, but they're trying to keep us out as much as possible. Um, but we're in a weird scenario where we can go to the home games as a commentary team, but we can't go to the away games. It's only it's a BBC health rule, if you like, yeah. not a government rule, and. We feel safer, to be quite honest, in the grounds than we do in the, in the offices. But um, it's let, let's just say it's a bone of contention. But uh, when it's not a fight we're winning, and uh, so um, last night I was able to do the game, obviously at uh, Ellen Road, and thankfully before our own restrictions happened, I was able to go to to Goodison for the uh, for the for the first first game. So oh, okay. so yeah, it's a weird existence. We're doing it off telly for the away games from a studio in Leeds, but then we're at the ground at Leeds. Oh, it must be difficult to do it off telly. Yeah, it, it's a bit, <laughs> Yeah, it well, what what happened? It's quite weird. Actually, it was really interesting it because we have an app called Swift in the BBC, which is basically um it's it's the it's like the dirty feed of the game. So there's no commentary on it. It's um there's no graphics or anything. So it's literally the cameras that you see for BT Sky or BBC whoever's doing the game. And it's fed up from London to Salford, and then we tap into the stream, and so we can get it fed into um, and get it fed into my phone actually. So actually, it wasn't a game I was working, but I was watching um, Everton uh, Leicester the other night, and it was really interesting because as the feed comes through, all you get is the noise of the players and the coaching staff, and anything mm-hmm. else that happens to be happening. And Richarlison for the whole ninety minutes was being babysat by the coaching staff. It was um, it was really interesting hearing that throughout the whole it was like come on come on do this do that do that whatever it was like it was being wet nurse through the whole 90 minutes which might explain some of the body language you see from from him <laughs> when his things aren't going his way but um it, it was like he needs constant attention you know it was it was really interesting watching it so um, his, his so, reaction yeah. at the end of the game was really interesting wasn't it he started he, he was pounding on the ground with his fist yeah that that was well i noticed when he came off and he looked like, you know, like the petulant child when yeah. he sucked, you know. Um, and the point was made to me, I don't know what you think, guys, but like my, some of my, I've got a split family with Liverpool and Everton, but, but my brother-in-law, who really is responsible for making it blue, to be honest, um, and his lads, he said, particularly, he said, Richarlison, he said, because Harmes has got a lot of the headlines, and I know not yesterday because he was on the bench, but it's like he's had his nose point out of joint almost that he's not the, yeah, the star attraction. Yeah. I agree completely with that. I think, I think we've got real problems with Richarlison. I, I, um, I, I'm sick and tired of people telling me he, he, he tracks back and he does a whole load of work. Bullshit. I want him scoring goals and creating chances. His ball control has been terrible. His first touch is awful. He runs mm-hmm. into blind alleys and his attitude stinks, I think. So I think we've got problems with him. Uh, I, I've, Few people have said that I don't see him obviously as much as say you guys do because you'll, you'll see every game and I mean obviously I'll see stuff afterwards but um, yeah few people have said that about it. I just think out of possession 
he's he's an issue because I think like last night I thought Leeds were getting loads of joy down that side and yeah. particularly in the first half he's just um yeah creates a lot of problems I felt for for Dina and, and Godfrey in particular behind him yesterday um because of just yeah just not doing some of the dirty stuff but yeah there, I think there is a bit of an issue there it's a bit he's just not on it at the moment at all Look, we've we've started the discussion already, so I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to include that in in the in the podcast if you don't if you don't mind. Um, yeah, sure. For those that don't know who's who's on this podcast, um, I've got a good friend of mine, obviously Roger Armstrong, who who most Evertonians will know. Uh, but we're also joined today by Adam Pope, who is um, the BBC's uh, BBC Leeds football uh, correspondent. Is that would that be the right term, Adam? Oh, you're you bigging me up there, Paul. <laughs> but yeah, uh, basically, I'm the commentator for BBC Leeds and, the, and the, effectively the sort of Leeds United reporter. Yeah, right. So, and and Adam, as as no doubt he will explain in a few minutes. Uh, born and bred on Merseyside and uh, a lifelong Evertonian, so we thought it would be good to have a chat with him, um, get his views on football generally, the game last night specifically, as as, as you've just heard. Um, and possibly towards the end of the podcast, we'll t- we'll talk a little bit about Leeds, and we'll we'll sort of compare Leeds' development with 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 that of Everton because I think there's some uh, interesting uh, sort of common threads running through that. So, Adam, you um, as I say, born on Merseyside, uh, but you've been out over in Yorkshire for many many years. I suppose uh, following Leeds or commentating on Leeds is actually one of the more interesting jobs in football. <laughs> it has been, um, definitely. <laughs> uh, thank you, Paul and Roger, for having me as well. Yeah, I mean, effectively, I've been doing this sort of commentary in the full sort of time report on since 2005. Right. So that was two. So this is the first year I've done them in the Premier League. So, and you, the time I took over was when Ken Bates was already in charge of the club after he'd uh, left Chelsea. Uh, and was very close to Van Sheffield Wednesday. So he took over in 2005, the January. Uh, and I effectively took over the following summer. So the five, six year when they spectacularly lost to Watford in the in the uh, playoff final. Um, and <laughs> then a year later, we were relegated uh, for the first time in their history into the third tier. So, yeah, from that point, yeah, it's been, um, yeah, pretty crazy to be quite honest in terms of the owners that they've had. And just the fortunes of the club too. So now it's obviously it's the, the sort of purple patch, clearly. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, in terms of the, the current owners, in terms of the, of the management, they're, they're well. Clearly, they're in a better place than they have been for for decades. Yeah, it has. I mean, the uh, the the big implosion or the doing the leads as it became known, wasn't it? I suppose was. Sort of as they failed to qualify for the Champions League, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Under, in the Ridsdale era, and I have to say, um, and uh, like he gets the blame for all of that. And Leeds were a PLC company at the time, and he was yes, very much, and he was known as Publicity Pete, and he was the he liked you know the being around all the fame and the glamour and the Champions League runs, and of course they were beaten in the semi final by Valencia, and then when they didn't qualify. Um, then it was all sort of built on sand and it fell apart. There was a fire sale, grounds were sold, training ground was sold too, and they were having to rent, you know, their ancestral home. So that's where it all started going horribly wrong. And it just took a few seasons really for the inevitable to happen as, as players went and, and they plunged into the 
into the championship. So, and, and from that point, so yeah, you, I think you're right. Yeah, you're talking decades. Are you talking nearly nearly two two you know two two cycles of ten years before Radrazani has brought some sort of sense to to proceedings at Ellen Road? Yeah, he, he's an interesting guy. Actually, I, I've I've met him in 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 Asia with, oh, with okay. some of his uh, broadcasting interests and. Uh, he's clearly a very, very, very successful, but also a very smart guy, um, and very much um, a strategic thinker. So I, I take the view that when when he acquired, I mean, first of all, he acquired fifty percent of Leeds, didn't he? And then he then he, then he bought the other half. When, when he got full ownership, I, I suspected that Leeds were going to you know, gradually make their way back into the Premier League and become um, become a force again. Which uh, you know appears now to be the case. Yeah, that's really interesting that you said that. Strategically, he is a big thinker, and, and his big love is, is sports media rights. That's where yeah. he's uh, sort of made his 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 money, if you like, really. And it, it's interesting because he, he's sort of a self-proclaimed Juventus fan. Uh, but I, I, if I was to say, is it footballers' love or is it sports writers' love? I'd say it was the, the latter. But obviously, when he's got so involved with. Um, with Leeds United, it's sort of on the back of what he would say would be a conversation with Kenny Dalglish, actually, as to as to which would be the club he should go for. Um, so, he's, so the story goes. So, um, yeah, and and there has been some huge strategic steps made, and there are some in in in, in uh, you know in, in readiness at Leeds over this. It has changed a lot over the last few years. Um, not least because he's bought the ground back, you know, himself into his own company. So, um, which is a huge thing. And, and and the club wasn't paying rent for three and a bit years, I think, because of that. He's been there four years since the moment you said, Paul, when he bought 50% in the in the January yeah. uh, before taking full control. So um, things like that were, 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 were big steps. And, and obviously he's got them back in the Premier League. So despite some blips along the way... Um, there've been a, you know, there've been a few sort of weird moments, should we say, um, it, you know, he's delivered on what he said he'd do. So he bought Leeds after Mashiri bought into Everton, right? The year, almost exactly a year later, he bought it in in um, early January, wasn't it, twenty seventeen? Yeah, that was when he put. That's when he got the half. Yeah, he bought fifty percent. It took about six months before he fully took over from Massimo yeah. Cellino. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yes. So you. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. You, you're right. You're going to be. Yeah. But those mad years before that, I mean, you said you started working there, Adam, in, in 2005, was it, say, 2005, 2006? That's right. That was when yeah. I first sort of took the lead sort of gig on. I'd, I'd already been around a few years before, but yeah, that was when right. I, I got to yeah. You know, it's a who's who, you know, you've had Peter Reid in there, Terry Venables in there, <laughs> yeah. Dennis Wise, Gus Poyet, you know, Ken Bates you've mentioned, and, and, and then, you know, a series of just, just – extraordinary characters coming and going at great speed, sort of revolving door recruitment policy, um, all kinds of different investments from different parts of the world. And, and, and really, I mean, almost 10, 10 plus years of just chaos, really. The fans must have been tearing their hair out. Yeah, it, chaos is a great way of, of describing it. Fear and loathing is, is um, in LS11, which is the postcode word of the ground. It, it was a great sort of moniker used by a sort of blog stroke at others, you know, in social media. And that's how it felt for, certainly for large um, sways under Ken Bates, who, when he took over, there was a bit of parachute payment left from the um, Premier League uh, relegation. Yeah. And to be fair to him, you know, there were efforts to bring in players on loan that would help Leeds get back up into 
the Premier League and a few big signings as well. And Rob Hulse was one of them. He was a really good striker. Maybe. And, and Leeds had, to be fair, in that first full year I did, he thought, well, they're going to they're gonna go back up here. And Sheffield United and Reading got an absolute march on and, and were streets. And Leeds were, were at best a, a decent third behind them and never quite bridged the points gap. Um, despite several good runs, and then they bought funny enough, Jermaine Beckford in the in, in the January, ah, very yeah. raw, as you remember, very <laughs> very raw, um, and was nowhere near the fit, you know, ready to to make an impact. And uh, it was him and a lad called Joel Griffiths from Neuchatel Zamex, who was an Australian, um, who was playing in in Switzerland, and and it just wasn't enough to to get the final push. So they wobbled into the playoffs, didn't make it, didn't make it, lost horribly to Watford. As I said, you know, this is a team like David Healy and. Um, Robbie Blake, you know, really talented players. Um, and under Kevin, Kevin Blackwell at the time, didn't quite make it the final hurdle. And then they, that season afterwards, when they went into, the, you know, Dennis Wise comes in and they go into uh, League One, first time in the history. Then there was a 15-point deduction, as well as the 10-point deduction, which they took for going to administration, which didn't affect them particularly. The 15-point deduction for failing to come out of, um, administration the way that the Football League wanted you to. Um, and Ken Bates was trying to fight it and what have you. And that went all the way through the next season and they got to the playoff final despite the deduction, you know. Um, that was it, was, it was, it was utter chaos, Roger and Paul, utter, utter chaos. And you had to become a sort of financial, sort of, well, I wouldn't say expert, but you had to know about accounts and know what happened behind the scenes at the football club to understand what really was happening there and the whole process of administration and how weird and uh, oh, should I call it quasi-legal it, it, it appears when you, when you see what people are able to do to just maintain control. Um, it was, it was absolutely bizarre and it was horrible because the football was poor, you know, league one beckoned, it came and it took a few years to shake off and then, you know, still under Bates, they managed to get out with a really good squad action league one, Snodgrass, you know, house and gradle, all these sorts of places, Delft, you know, uh, obviously you had Beckford who went on to to, to better things, and um, you know in the Premier League, obviously with Everton and Leicester and what have you. So um, they climbed out, and then they just stuck for ages, and and it was just the club wasn't going anywhere. And then after that, GFH came in, Gulf Finance House, who were this uh, Middle Eastern uh, bankers, if you like, and just attached a whole load of debt to the club and didn't have the money to run it. Chilino then came in. I feel honestly, he saved it despite all his craziness. Saved it from from going into liquidation, really. Um, but then drilled down the um, the cost base at the club, so that there was literally nothing was ever seen as an asset or an investment. Everything looked as a cost. Loads of players came through the door. You know, lot cheaper, nasty players, if you like. Some stuck, very few. Um, and there were just managers came and go and came and went. And it was just an awful time. And in the end, you've got a lot of credit to someone like Neil Redfern, who um, who was, you'll know from the Barnsley days as a player in particular and, and elsewhere, but on several occasions brought the academy players through and they sort of rescued them and kept them in the in the championship. And then Radrazani came in and, and things began to change pretty swiftly once he got full hold of the rein. So, um, yeah, a, a chaos is a perfect word for it, to be quite honest with you, Roger. Right. Looking at it from a wider point of view, I mean, it, it, it is appalling that uh, people can come into football clubs and, you know, Leeds is uh, whatever other fans think of Leeds. Uh, you know, to Leeds supporters, it, it is as important as Everton is to us. And the idea that, you know, 
clubs can be almost destroyed. You know, and well, obviously we're seeing it now with Barry. We've seen it with um, Wigan to a lesser a lesser extent. It is scandalous that it's still permitted in this in this day and age. It, it is, and and you look. I think. Um say on that wider scale you look at the football league's resources particularly because that's where it seems to be well, I'm not saying it doesn't happen in the Premier League either but in the, in the football league have they got the resources to cope with it and they have this thing called horizoning where they you know they think they can look ahead and, and, and see you know potentially who's making moves to become an owner of a football club and then they put them through whatever you want to call it the owners and directors test the fit and, uh, fit and proper you know persons test um, clearly not robust enough, and it's allowed some scandalous owners to take hold and ruin the clubs. And as you say, it's 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 yeah, it's just not good enough. And um, and unfortunately, fans often get so fed up with what they're seeing or lack of success or whatever that they'll they'll be glad for anything sometimes. And suddenly, as we've seen with you know, various clubs, haven't we? In Macclesfield, wherever um, they just think that oh yeah, this is this is going to be surely better than what we've had before. And, and it, oh, quite often it isn't. And it's, <clears> it's just awful. So I think it's a resource issue largely um, too. And the football league have got to be better than that, I think, going forward and have better people in place to make sure uh, for those particular clubs that, you know, the right sort of people are able to come in. Yeah. I, was going to, I was going to ask you though, Adam, you know, Bielsa is lauded uh, really widely in the in the game and, and utterly adored by Leeds United fans. Um, do you think some of that is perhaps uh, because of the utter chaos that they endured for 12 or 15 years prior to him coming in um, and getting back to the promised land? Do you think he's do you think he's given a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a free ride on, on, because he's because he's got you back dog not you he's got Leeds back to to where um, the, the fans feel they belong and and, and he's not really you know, he can't really do any wrong. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. This is his third full third season at Leeds now, and as you'll be aware, he only signs deals sort of on one one year at a time. Yeah. In terms of a free ride, look, he's got so much credit, so much stock with Leeds fans um, that he can do. Little, you know, he's, there's a mural of him. You know, in in the Christ the Redeemer. Um, Although that's nothing to do with Argentina, I know, but that's how he's portrayed, you know, on one of the, the sort of landmarks in the city. Um, you know, that's how much he's fated, if you like, by 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 Leeds fans. He's not beyond criticism. There's been a few, you know, you know, it's like people getting patient at the Premier League. You know, certain sections of fans want you to do better, you know, be challenging for you know, top six straight away or whatever. And at times he has been criticised, but ultimately, no, he's he can't do any wrong. However. Nobody knew what to expect when he came, and it was a huge gamble. And the first year, obviously, sort of spectacularly failed in a 20-minute period either side of half-time against Derby, which essentially cost Leeds promotion. The next year, obviously, they've done it. Um, but it's the style of football that, that, that is just amazing. He, nobody can believe that the crop of championship players that he had could be made into promotion, well, winners, and a decent Premier League side that's sitting comfortably in mid-table now. And for that, um, he's... It, it, people just look at it in wonderment and think, I cannot believe the great football we're watching. And also the players have got... Um, he's managed to mine this ability from, from these players that, to be quite, quite frank, you, you just never thought we're, we're going to be able to achieve um, you know, a romp home out of the Championship in the end, even though it took two more years. So... It, it, <sighs> He, he does get 
a little bit, I wouldn't say a free ride at all, but he does get criticised. But do you know what's different about him? He, he doesn't mind discussing it. In, I know he has to speak through a translator, like it, but he will talk tactics and football with you and challenge you, whereas other managers and head coaches will find that, will feel like you're intruding on them when you're asking about it, as if, say, well, you don't know about that. Mm, and you shouldn't be asking you. about yeah. it. Yeah, to, yeah, he's not like that at all. He, his big thing is to entertain the masses with great football and bring joy into this. And it's so, I know it sounds really glib. This, this is what I've come to understand. It's about entertaining a big football population, if you like, like Leeds or like Marseille, where he's been before, where he's fated as well. Like in Chile, where he was fated for what he did there. Like at Newell's Boys, Athletic Bill Bowers. Yeah, all these play. You know, and it and it has to be aesthetically pleasing winning isn't the only thing um it's it's about developing young players and bringing joy to people and, and if i could sum them up that's that's what he tries to do and if success comes in terms of trophies on the way then fine but that's not what drives him um but he does know obviously it's a results driven business you know clearly but um but yeah and and that's what he just brings he's just brought so much joy particularly in this this last 12 months just a shame we haven't all been able to share it as a as a group of fans and and you know journalists and and a populace together wherever you are. Do you, do you think Evertonians would um, would settle for that? Either of you, you know, just want to be. We just want to be entertained, and uh, if we happen <laughs> to win a trophy, that's a bonus. Wow, that's a good question, Paul. I think I think, incre- I think increasingly amongst the younger supporters, um, the answer to that must be yes. I think uh, people of our generation, um, the Everton dads or dads or whatever uh, people call them on, on, on social media, uh, it's a difficult one for us. And it's, I don't know, I mean, if I just talk about my own view, it's incredibly difficult for me because uh, I was brought up on, 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 with stories of, of past successes and I, you know, I saw the successes with, with my own eyes. Um, and to not have that, it means that we're not achieving what I think we should achieve. Um, so for me, it's it's very much the case that we have to uh, not necessarily win at all costs, but win, just win. We should win silverware, and that's it. So had there, had there been fans in the stadium last night, would the Leeds supporters have left disappointed? Do you think, Adam? Yeah, I I think I think so because. For me, and, and I hope was predicting, I, I had this as a two-tour. And I think Leeds certainly did enough to get an equaliser. Olsen was amazing, that 30-second that spell of four saves. Um, but I just felt, um, yeah, so I think Leeds, and genuinely, I think because of the situation, what, what, what we're talking what they've gone through over the last sort of couple of decades, if you like, there's been a realism about, you know, where Leeds are and, and, and what they're doing. And, and that's what makes this even more enjoyable, even though they can't see it in the flesh. So when they see good football, and, you know, as per Russell Crowe in Gladiator, are you not entertained? Well, yeah, they certainly are. Then there is an element thing. Yeah, OK, the, the opportunity cost of playing this way is that we will get we will lose sometimes. And sometimes we'll lose maybe a little bit harshly or a little bit unfairly, which I think Leeds fans would have felt that last night. But they wouldn't have been disappointed in the sense of what they saw, just the result. And I think... That that's it. They've come. I I think learn to accept. Look, this is it. This is a no draw type style of play, and yes, it can mean losing six two at Old Trafford, which is horrible for the Leeds fans, as you know, because that's their that that is their their worst and most bitterest rival. But that game could have been six six or ten six, 
and they they will accept it at this stage. I think down the line, and I think Paul, you make a great point, especially with, with us as Evertonians, where you know not since the Charity Shield and Vinnie Samways in '95 have we seen any silverware. Um, prior, you know, just post that FA Cup mm. win. It is time that Everton won something. So I think it's different in terms of emphasis. But would Everton fans accept the way that Leeds play? Yes, I'm sure they would. Much as you know, Carlo Ancelotti providing some fantastic football with with relatively speaking, limited resources compared to, to some club, if I'm just going back to last summer, um, but is now being developed an ambitious manager with, with and hopefully a board that's going to be ambitious with him in terms of, of what, what he's given. But yeah, I think nobody, Leeds don't want to be known as everybody's second club because that's what, that's what they're not about. The fans hate that. They want to be disliked because that's what Leeds is, you know, backs against the wall, nobody likes us, we don't care sort of thing. But the fact is, the way they play is making them everybody's sort of second, or at least the club that people want to watch. So I think anybody would accept Marcel Bielsa's Bielsa style of play because it is truly wondrous when you see it in full flow. It's just, it is amazing. They're a bit like Keegan's Newcastle, you know, with um, that used to always lose 4-3 at Anfield. Hilarious. <laughs> the only thing I would say is that I think there's more structure to the way, how, how um, Bielsa defends because it's all about reclaiming the ball in the final third. And if that isn't done effectively, then he says, that's, a, that's the problem with, with the, if we're losing, he says, when he's talking about Leeds, if we're losing possession to, you know, near the halfway line or two near our own penalty, then it's very difficult for us because we do commit men forward. But um, it certainly isn't like, you know, let's play nine forwards like, like, um, like you would do. There, there, is, there is more science to it, definitely. And it, it's great because the ball is put at risk, and it's you know the keeper. We see a lot of clubs where keepers pass out. There's that yes, there's an occasional long ball forward into Bamford or what have you. But the way that you know the link play between say Ailing at right back and Rafinha, um, you know, in front of him on that right wing, say, and then depending who's playing in the middle, if it's Rodrigo, then then fine. Then some of the interplays is superb, and it starts in the back, and 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 it happened, you know, from minute one, the first game against Stoke in the Championship that he took. It happened there, and they battered Stoke had just come down with a lot of money um, spent as well. You know, McLean, Ince, players like that, um, and they were absolutely put put to the sword. So it it hasn't changed from the moment he's been there, and it goes right through the club as well. So I think I think any club, and I know he's been talked about in terms of Everton quite a lot, hasn't he? Um, you know, prior to Carlo coming in, what have you? But yeah, it, you, you you would not feel shortchanged by him and his you know. And is considerable entourage in terms of coaching staff as well. But um, yeah, he's, he's been, it's been a revolution and it's been wondrous to watch, to be quite honest. Do you think after last night they need to stop putting Red Bull in the opposition changing room? <laughs> because, because if you compare the Everton that sauntered around the pitch with minimal effort, it would appear, particularly in central midfield, Mr Sigurdsson, um, against Newcastle, uh, and this sort of rampaging, you know, 40-yard runs to get on the end of a Dina cross to make it 1-0, and Gomez, you know, sprinting around the midfield. How on earth can you explain in four days that sort of change <laughs> in, in pure, you know, running around a bit? Um, I think against Newcastle, weren't the top four players in distance covered all Newcastle players? And yet last night, everyone was running. It was It was like... You know, you almost wanted to to just slow it down a bit. It was like Benny Hill football at times. <laughs> From both it, teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I, used to seeing it with Leeds because that's how they play, you know, high octane. 
I was so disappointed with the with the Newcastle game, and I still can't get my head around how Everton have been beaten twice by them. Um, that was, I mean, they stank the place out, didn't they? I mean, it was awful, um, and there had to be a response. And when you looked at the team sheet, clearly there was in terms of you know who was left out. Big call to drop, you know, um, Rod- Rodriguez from the side too, but. I, looking at it, as soon as I saw the teams, I thought, right, how are they going to line up? I thought, okay, they're going three at the back with the two wing backs. Yeah, okay. But then I looked at the midfield and I thought, yeah, that's pretty solid. And they're going to have to be against Click and Dallas, who will run all day, too. And and I just thought, um, Decore, I, I thought, was that's the best I've seen him play. And I think he's a better player than Allen's in the side, but obviously he's not at the moment. And I thought Gomez, I thought, got probably one of the best games I've seen him play as well. So, and they were fundamental, I felt, for, for Everton's success last night. But you're right. I mean, it was a, well, a th- so 180 degrees turnaround on, on what we saw at the weekend. Yeah. We didn't play three at the back, did we? Last night? No, I, the, the way, look at, well, when I looked at it, I thought you had, what, Godfrey? We played Mina. Godfrey and Mina, yeah. Dina yeah. and, and Holgate at right back last night, I thought. I thought we had a back four and then we had Gomez, Sigurdsson... Um, and uh, Dukure, and uh, and then up top, DCL, Richarlison, and Iwobi was how I saw it. It was either four three three or four four two, whether Iwobi was in the four or in the three. See, I, I looked at it first, and I thought, have they put three in the left? Dinia wide left, obviously, and Iwobi wide right. And then later on, I felt it looked like it changed a little bit more, more solid. Um, yeah, but but yeah, but hey, look, whatever it worked, didn't it? I mean, like. As you say, it was a transformation from the weekend. I just in Godfrey, wow, what a pedigree of a racehorse of a player he is. I think just awesome, awesome player. And when you see him in the flesh, just you, you know, I mean, I know he's quick, but he's completely rapid. He was he was awesome uh, last night. So yeah, they've been very, very encouraged by what I've seen um, uh, this season, particularly. Adam, based on. Uh... You, you'll have seen all of Leeds' home games this season. Uh, how, how did we compare against uh, other opposition that you've seen this, so far? Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, favourably, clearly. I think in both games, I think they've been, they've been pretty tight. That's a, that's a really good question, that is, Paul, because the, I think the big lesson Leeds got in terms of when people get carried away with the form at the beginning and they were doing all right and, you know, knocking off quite, you know, relatively quite a few wins for a newly promoted side, Leicester came to town and Leeds made some really basic errors, which allowed Vardy in and, and, and others. And, and that was the moment you thought, wow, that's what it takes to be a top four challenging side, which obviously, you know, you want to put Everton in the way they were running mm. at the time when Leeds went to play them as well at, uh, at Goodison. So I would say favourite, I think for, for Everton to come and, and turn Leeds over on their own turf, which is another issue, obviously, because there's a new pitch laid down temporarily, which people are slipping everywhere, is 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 no... It, it, you cannot diminish how good Everton were last night to win that game, because Leeds were right up there with, with, I think, one of their better home performances yesterday, and that's why they looked so good at the end. So I think that was... Yeah, I mean, Leicester were very, very good. Wolves, I think, were a bit fortunate when they won. Um, and I go down the list. Man City had a blinding 20 minutes against Leeds, but Leeds, you know, did them for 1-1 in the end. Um, I think they were looking up to be Arsenal at home as well. So if you think about it, I, I, I think that, that's a tremendous performance from Everton to go and do that. Um, and I know in black and white, people go, oh, well, you know, it's a newly promoted team and all that. But 
the way they play to see them off and hold them off for 42 minutes after the you know the, the, the goal had gone in from Rafinha, it was a cracking effort from Everton, considering, as you say, as well, Roger, from where they were at the weekend. So I would say, yeah, Everton can play very, very favourably for me there. And, you know, I'm trying to be objective about it, but um, that was that was a really, really good performance and a very important one with the pressure on those Everton players last night. And I, I think very, very commendable. How do we, um, you know, t- almost 24 hours on, and it was great, great to win. It was much needed. But, you know, as Evertonians, we're brilliant at taking games out of context, just looking at them in isolation. So Newcastle means, you know, the end of the world is nigh. And a victory at Leeds United means that we're about to, you know, qualify for the Champions League. Um, <laughs> just thinking back to last night, um, you know, we went 2-0 up. And the first half, I thought we were superb. Uh, we looked dangerous on the break. Um, second half was a a poorer performance. Um, we, we we sat back and, and invited them on, um, and 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 um, you know we had to ride our luck quite a bit. You know, second half. Do you think do you think the legs ran out for Everton, or or, or was it just a case of what we have, we hold? That's, that's a good point. I, I never got the impression that Everton were blowing through the backsides, to be quite honest. And and I have seen it with teams against Leeds because, as we know, their their stats are through the roof uh, and their the running stats in particular. Um, you know, really. So I didn't get that feeling at all. Um, and and uh, like you know, you point to the performance of Godfrey, say, who was still going full pelt. And I think, and the thing that why what I'd say to support myself there would be. When Calvert-Lewin's been put through on that breakaway at the back end of the game, he, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't realise how quick he is as well. He absolutely flogged himself from halfway to get into the box. And I know it, was a, it wasn't a great attempt and Melier, you know, good save in the end, I suppose, but it wasn't the best attempt. But Everton was still trying to break really quickly and could have, could have got a third, you know, and, and probably should have got a third, although I think that would have been harsh on, on Leeds, but with a chance that they did create just towards the end. So no, they didn't run out of steam. Just, it just, I think Leeds just found, you know, they just, they just clicked that bit better in the second half. Um, and, you, and, and I said, look, the surface was difficult. People were losing their footing. Yeah, I think you could pass the ball across it okay, but that, is a new, that was the first time that that pitch had been used. And I think that was, and they bought it up from Spurs. They spent 340 grand. It's temporary to the end of the season because the other one is just done and defunct. It's 25 years old, built for Euro 96, and it needs changing. It was meant to be last summer. It's going to get done this summer instead with all the drainage done. What have you. So this is a temporary surface. And they were losing their feet. And I think, I think Leeds particularly were noticeably slipping around a lot. But Everton were, Everton were excellent in the first half, I thought. I thought, honestly, I really thought they were excellent. I didn't feel they ran out of steam. And they managed the game pretty well against the side that I think if they had got that equaliser and that little sort of spell where Olsen's made, I mean, they were all good saves, those. I think he did a few for the cameras in the first half, but but that spell of four saves, he was immense. And I think if that had gone in, then I think you, you probably would have been the deciding factor as to who, who would have won the game. I think Leeds could well have gone on and won the game at that point. Let, let me ask you something, because I watched Leeds away at Leicester um... And, and winning because you know, ironically, the Leeds's last two games have been against Leicester and Newcastle, right? And yeah. um, so had Everton's. Uh, and um, Leeds had won both, and Everton had drawn and lost. Um, and, and and let me ask you about Calvert Lewin in the second half. Took his took his goal great in the first half. Brilliant header, well anticipated, good positioning, fantastic. 
But he had chances in the second half. One he should have finished and another he should have, I think, squared to Richarlison. And they reminded me of the two goals that Bamford scored against Leicester. Um, <laughs> you know, and he scored one and he, he set one up for Harrison, wasn't it? Um, yes. but so, you know, does, does, does Calvert-Lewin need to work a bit more on, you know, ball at feet? Because I think Bamford scores at least one of those two chances. And, and, and give us your thoughts on Bamford. Compare him to, um, to um, DCL, can you? Wow, that's um, now it's interesting because Bamford, of course, was was criticised massively last season and before yep. for missing lots of chances. Leeds create loads of chances. Centre forward's dream. A lot of his best work is off the ball. Um, he was trying to draw Mina out last night and was doing that quite successfully. And his hold up play is normally pretty good. It hasn't been that good lately, actually. It's bounced off him a little bit, but his his efficiency as Bielsa calls it in front of goal has gone up massively and he's got 11 and, and now has been talked about as a, a possible inclusion, if not in the last England squad player, but maybe in March and, and, and who knows. So in that sense, he's proved nearly everybody wrong that he can do it at this level. You know, he's done half a season in and he's right up there with the, with the top goal scorers. For me, Calvert-Lewin is someone that's just got better and better and better over the last few years. And I felt when Everton brought him in, it was it was almost out of necessity, but a year too early. But clearly, Big Dunk has got hold of it, and now Carlo, and they've developed into what I think is almost a consummate centre forward. His leap is prodigious, as we know. Absolutely. Um, it, I mean, and it, and he's he's got an aware. I mean, that goal he scored. I mean, I know Ailing's put his hands up and said, "Look, I, I lost him," but you know, he can sniff stuff out, and I like that about him. You often see him getting in right on the six-yard box. That's not really Bamford sort of game. I wouldn't say Bamford can score a few spectacular goals, but um, it's. I'd say I don't see them as the same sort of players. Bamford's got quicker actually over this last season, which is amazing for someone who's not you know he's not the youngest, but he's, he's not old, and he's got stronger as well. So I've seen him evolve, and he's a really intelligent player. But I think Calvert Lewin is is more deadly, to be honest. And I would expect him, you know, career wise, to his race to be far better than than Bamford's. But um, yeah, if it was to pick who would want to play for England right now, you'd, you'd go for, for Calvert-Lewin. But I think Bamford's worthy of a, of a shot at, at one of the squads, certainly, um, that, that'll be coming up in, say, in March to, to, to have a look at. Right? Because he's in form, but he brings a lot to the team. And I think maybe that's maybe where something that Calvert-Lewin could, you know, he would be learning to bring Link in. I mean, Richarlison, um, when he went past him on that left side, I think everybody's expecting... Cavalier to feed him in. That's when um, it was quite a famous sort of five second sort of uh, twit video, isn't there, of um, of Carlo going a bit mad. I think he felt he should have fed him. So that decision making, I think, just get better over time. But I lo- I love watching him. I, I think um, and I think he's got a big desire. I mean, you guys know better than me, but I think he's got a big desire to learn and progress. There's no ego with him, is there? He's a, a generally nice guy, and I think that's a similarity between him and. And, and Bamford too is that there's there's an eagerness to learn and to improve and to be the best that you possibly can, and I, I just I, I think he's a marvelous player, Calvert Lewin. I really do. I think um, he's been, and I worry should he be injured, <laughs> what's 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 behind him? To be quite honest, I know there's a signing in, in Josh King, but and um, that's my worry, and that is exactly the same worry that Leeds have as well. What else is there behind your, your, your number nine, if you like? Yeah, interesting. I I, I think um, DCL has improved so much. Uh, people say under on, on, on Ferguson, but I mean he he was with Ferguson for quite some time before um, Angelotti came along, and I 
I, I find it difficult to believe that um, it's not Angelotti's influence rather than Ferguson's, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, but I, I, I agree totally with, with, with your assessment of him as a player. He, that, that run that he made uh, to get to get on, on onto the chance that ultimately was saved, um, he had a very strange running style. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> I just saw him disappearing into a blur down the far <laughs> end. Away from this, but, yeah. No, he's really, a very upright it? running style. It was very weird. Oh, okay, yeah. But I, I'll be honest with you, though, Paul. I didn't realise just how swift he was. Yeah, you know, he's. Um, I mean, obviously, there's got a bit that you've got to have it, haven't you, to play in the Premier League at all? Nobody's, nobody's, you know, ponderous. But he was very quick, and you know, I've seen his movement for some years. But yeah, it, I mean, it, it was noticeable how he covered the grass. I have to say, I mean, it was it was phenomenal. He got himself in the position. But yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't see his uh, unorthodox um, gait, <laughs> should we say? No. Just, 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 just something I noticed. I mean, I, I thought last night's performance. Well, I thought it was the most enjoyable Everton game I've watched for a long time. Um, you know, it, I think if you'd been a neutral, it would have been a fantastic game to watch. Uh, and I enjoy watching Everton when they're under the cosh. I, um, bizarrely, so I don't know what it says about me, but I, 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 <laughs> I, I do enjoy that. Um, and and I, I was, I was so thrilled that they performed as well as they did. I think. Um, that's as we say the difference, the different you know two different sides between uh, Saturday and, and 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 last night. Do you think that was because of the quality of football, Paul, or the fact that they actually put some effort in? Because I think I think there's a split in the fan base, as you touched on before, in that some yeah. people want to be entertained, and the Dars like thee and me, um, we just want we want to see some effort. We want to see them running around a lot and trying really hard <laughs> and, and and actually appearing to give a shit. Um, and and they, they all appeared to do that last night. So so, what do you think we want? We've said that the Leeds fans or Bielsa wants, you know, to create this wonderful entertainment for the masses uh, to keep their bread and circuses and whatever. But you know, what what is it that, that that you enjoyed about last night? Was it the quality football or was it the actual effort that was put in? I think I think it was both actually, Roger. I think um, obviously the effort, which is you know the, the first thing that you look for. But actually, I think I think we played some some attractive football. I think you know the, the pass that Gomez made for Dean to run on to, and, and obviously an excellent cross from, from Dean for, for Sigurdsson to score. You know that was a, that was a fantastic pass that Gomez made. Hundred percent, it was a great move. It was a great move. Ball across the ground. I mean, absolutely awful defending from Leeds. Yeah. And, yeah. and the corner from which, or, or the you know the goal that that um, Calvert Lewin scored the flick on from Godfrey. Um, uh, as he's now be called um, God Benfrey, actually, <laughs> not Ben Godfrey. He's God Benfrey. Um, somebody, somebody called the Chico Athol will appreciate that. Um, but you know, how do you leave DCL unmarked at the far post at the corner? That's kind of a bit stupid. Yeah. That, so, that, that's yeah, that, and that is a failing of Leeds under Bielsa, and he would admit that too. The set piece defending has been a problem. It's got a bit better lately, actually, but. That was Everton's first corner, wasn't it? And it came yeah, with 40-odd minutes. Absolutely. And, you know, it, OK, there's been an attempt with Cooper to try and get for the first flick, but Godfrey's there first. But Ailing let them go at the back post. Yeah, he was mortified by that afterwards, too. Um, it is a big problem for them, too. And and also, I felt, you know, Rafinha, who I thought could be... Because there was a doubt over his fitness for the game. When, with him being picked to play, I thought, oh, wow, this is swinging leads his way, this is. You looked at the team sheets. 
he, for all his brilliance in the game, his as soon as that ball from Gomez came to Dean on the left, which is right where we're commentating, right in front of us, said he's got to close him down quickly and stop the cross because effectively that cross sort of negged him really because he hit it so quickly. Did yeah, Dean yeah. and he's brilliant, isn't he? I mean, his 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 assist rate is a phenomenal. And and from that point, yes, they've let Sigurdsson go in the box three of them, in fact. But for me, that was a that was it. He had to close him down, stop the cross, or at least show him into the corner. And he did neither. And, and Dini was he's phenomenal at that. And what a player he is to watch as well. So for me, that was where the first problem was. And and fair play, Sigurdsson, who looks great at the top of the midfield, doesn't he? Doing that, or you know, or, or playing, you know, by DCL. It just seems the best role. And Carlo, like you were saying, Paul, you know, he's got he's obviously got a load more out of DCL, but somehow Sigurdsson, who looked to be flopping at 45 million quid, whatever he cost, is you're looking, wow, are you gonna are we gonna at least break even on him if he has a really good season this year, if you see what I mean, in terms of what he's brought to the team? Hmm. Let's let's not get too carried away. <laughs> 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 this is a wet listen. He was picked and he was given the captaincy, and every time he's given the captaincy, I want to give up because if I couldn't imagine anybody less inspirational to lead a group of men into battle than Gilfie Sigurdsson, um, and and you know he's put, he's had a few decent games of late, and he put a lot of effort last night, and he worked hard, and um, he should have done that an awful lot more, and he'll need to do that another. 20 or 30 times in a row to get back in my good books, I have to tell you. But Angelotti speaks very, very, um, very well about him, doesn't he? I mean, and, and he sees him, and he said he sees him as future ma- um, management uh, material. So he clearly recognizes, uh, I suppose, he's got a footballing brain. Um, mm. And he's probably, you know, we, we often talk, don't we, Rod, Roger? And I'm sure most Evertonians talk about the fact that there's no apparent leadership. In, in the Everton team. Well, if somebody like Angelotti, and, and maybe it's his man management, so he, he's trying to bring Gilfie out. But if he sees something like that in Gilfie, then he, he must have it. Oh, I mean, Carlo is just about the only manager I can forgive for picking Gilfie. Well, in, in some, of his, <laughs> some of his poorest performances. And, and, and if Carlo thinks he's all right and he delivers, then, then that's OK. I mean, we have limited, you know, now that those youngsters have gone out on loan, there's limited resources. Um, I mean, I think I think he has to play higher up the pitch. Playing him in front of the back four is an absolute waste of time because um, he's statuesque and still can't win a 50-50 to save his life. But I thought him and Gomez worked really well last night. Really, really well, both of them. They gave top draw performances. And they kept going, kept going through the second half. I, I had a few more concerns at the back, to be honest with you, because I, I just don't... Mason Holgate, I don't know what he is. I don't know whether he's a centre-back or a right-back. And I suspect he's not a right-back. Um, a lot of people say that, you know, Mina let the ball bounce for the goal last night. And, or was it Godfrey's error? For me, it was, um, you know, it, it, it was Holgate. Holgate was trying to do a keepy up. He wasn't, he kicked it into his own face. <laughs> Just bloody ball, man. And, and that, that ridiculous shirt pull he did on Rafinha towards the end. I mean, mm. he pulled it and pulled it and then he pulled it off his back. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know Holgate. I, I just, just don't know whether, is he, is he going to be, you know, to our defence, as Tom Davis is to our midfield, a good squad man. Because Godfrey, Keane and Mina are all better centre-halves than him. And, and I'm just not sure he's got it as a right-back. Um, I don't trust him. He's got, you know, he gets beaten too quickly, commits, dives in, and he doesn't have much going forward. So he worries me a little bit. 
think if we, if we brought in a right back in the summer, I mean, I don't think we're going to do much business because of our finances, but if we brought in, you know, a sort of a top level yeah. Premier League right mm. back, then it's difficult to see where Holgate fits in, into the side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the trade that you, you bring in a, a, a decent right back and, and you sell Holgate. Yeah, but every squad needs players like him. You know, I don't want to, I, I'm, I'm not writing him off. And no, no, same way, I understand. I'm not writing off Tom Davis. You know, when you read about the 80s, you read about Alan Harper and Kevin Richardson, yeah. you know, being absolutely instrumental. That you know, they could cover three, well, sometimes more than three, four, five, six positions mm. on the pitch, defensively, in midfield, um, pretty much anywhere those uh, those two played in particular. Um, and, and, and every squad, every squad needs those kind of, um, just flex, flexible players. A, a utility player. Utility yes. is the that word. Was, that was always the word, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, think the yeah. Other, I think, to be fair to him, the other thing that he brings to the side, and, and obviously when Godfrey is playing as well, he brings some aggression and he brings yeah. he brings some energy. Um, you know, obviously on, on Saturday there was neither energy nor nor was there any aggression. James was was getting kicked to, to you know, to bits. No, but no, nobody addressed that at all on Saturday. Now, that may be what Angelotti was talking about in terms of you know not having any spirit. Um, if 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 God if Godfrey and Holgate are on the pitch, then you know that's not going to be the case. Mm. Yeah, true. I mean, uh, Holgate. I also noticed last night spent the entire game chewing gum, um, which does that help? <laughs> <in any way? laughs> <laughs> Does it? I mean, is it a bit dangerous? I, I don't know. I, I haven't noticed anybody else chewing gum with the considerable glee that he was showing. I mean, he, he was like Sam Allardyce on the touchline, you know. Alex <laughs> on the touchline. Every time the camera went to him, he's chewing away on his gum. We, we were always told at school, don't chew gum because it, it can end up paralysed if it gets stuck in your throat. That was the thing we used to always get told. So we were always, no way were we allowed to... To, to to be chewing it when we were playing uh, football at school, no way. But yeah, um, I hadn't noticed that. I've got to say, I do agree though with the um, the aggression side. I mean, obviously, there's that famous incident with uh, was it with Firmino, wasn't it, in the derby? Yeah. And that, and you know, every side needs a bit of that. And there's not enough of a bit of dig, if you like. And and I think he's got that. Looking at him last night, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of I don't really see him as a as a as an out and out right back. I'd, I'd sort of more centrally than that, definitely. So, although I was quite shocked not to see Coleman on the team sheet last night, but um, mm. uh, in, in the first eleven, so I, I would see him there. But I suppose you always got to ask yourself: Would you? Would another, you know, Premier League side come in and and want him for that position or whatever position you think he might be? And and that's that's always quite a good test. Would would Everton? You know, would they be able to turn a decent profit? And would he go to a Premier League side to play in the same position? I don't know. Well, Liverpool were looking for centre backs. I mean, we, I'm surprised that you know the the magician, the negotiator in chief, the architect that is Marcel Brands wasn't wasn't you know just escorting Mason Holgate <laughs> round to Anfield and saying twenty million and he's yours. <laughs> Why not? Could you imagine? Yeah. Not yes, you could imagine it. Absolutely, I could imagine that. Yeah. Why not? Come on. Opportunism. Nah, nah. I, 
to be honest, I can't. I, I couldn't see Holgate getting into any any of the sort of the the, the so called big six. Now, they've just signed a geezer from Preston and a guy who's played for Schalke, who've shipped ninety eight goals and haven't won since. <laughs> you know, they've signed, who are they signing? Ben Davis. They've got the wrong one. You're not the fullback from Tottenham. They've got Ben Davis from from Preston. What? That's ridiculous. This is the league champions paying two million pounds for for someone from Preston. Yeah, but as much as we talk about money being an issue at Everton, money is also a very clear issue at Liverpool. Mm. So they're not in the market for a twenty million pound centre back. And, and and do you know what though, Paul? As well, and looking at you know, look at this window, I think was it twenty odd transfers made compared to the is it the average of forty at forty seven? I think it is for the last few win, January windows. I'm delighted that hopefully it's a bit of a reset. And so you look at every club, and and I listen to to you guys in talking a lot about Everton's finances, and and I'm personally I'm delighted that whereas there's always the clamour after defeat in January to say or to Newcastle and that. We need three players in before you know the thirty first. I'm delighted that there's that knowing that Mashiri's put what another fifty million, I think you said, Reese's it's the latest transfer that's going, that they're not gonna go, you know, all out bust. They think there's enough in this squad with what's coming in the summer with this coach to to go and, you know, achieve their aims, which hopefully will be a top six finish and there we say an FA Cup, although I was hoping the League Cup this year. So I'm glad that they've not gone and broken the bank. And I think it has been reflected everywhere. And not least in the fact there's been far less foreign players brought in as well. And people are now realising that, that they have to develop their academies or maybe look down lower in the leagues. And like you just said there as well, with um, you know, to try and get some talent because it is there too. So I, I'm, although it's come around in a rather weird way with the pandemic, and I'm, I'm not convinced that it will stay this way in terms of people being sent in terms of their spending. But I'm delighted that there has been some form of reset and that it'll protect the club going forward, in, in Everton's case, I would hope, anyway. Just comparing the clubs as we're trying to at different levels here, Bamford and you know DCL and the, the, the managers and the fans and expectations, whatever. Um, but I was surprised that Leeds' Le- turnover is as low as it is um, in terms of the, the last figures being around 50 million. Is that right? But that's championship. That's before they've gone into the Premier League, right? That, that's right. And that was a record for them as well. And, and this account, which will come out for Leeds, which I think they've been given three months grace. So we won't get into June this year, which will show the snapshot of up to, uh, up to yeah, up to 2019, uh, if you like 2020, sorry, middle of the year. They'll probably be near a 60. Um, right. Still no Premier League Right. No, it isn't, and 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 the and the drive now for for Leeds is to double their their revenues. This is what the owner Rogers or the majority shareholder Andrew Rogers only said, and then with a view to going to five times it. So hence you want to, you'll see the ground develop like we've discussed and what have you. So yeah, in terms of, and it's because the broadcast revenues, as you guys know and yeah. very clearly explained, are so low comparatively speaking in the in the Championship to to um, to the Premier League. Um, yeah, I mean, that's you. So I think you'll see a, a very big uplift, obviously, in Leeds' revenues coming through um, in the next you know, one or two years. But this actually, these latest accounts when they do come will show another, another hike. But they did lose £21 million, pounds, um, you know, in the last accounts. Um, Don't worry, we can so, if you gave them a year's Premier League. You know, broadcast and prize money. Where would they where would they sit alongside 
Everton's numbers if you put them, I don't know, 10th or something? They, they wouldn't be that far away from, from us. No, that's what I um, thought. You know, we, we're probably 100 190 million. Yeah. Uh, so if Leeds do 60 in, in the championship and they pick up 125, 130 million. Exactly. Um, from broadcasting revenues, you know, they're, they're a comparable size. That's interesting, that is. Yeah. One is, one that, is, is that because of the, 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 the ownership now, you know, and the stake of the San Francisco 49ers has brought that extra drive on commercial revenue, or was it always there with, with Radford Sani? Uh, I'd say the 49ers' influence is yet to be seen yet. I think they provided working capital and uh, advice, really, because if you think when they first came in, they, they took about 10 11% for about £11 million. Pounds. That was a few years ago. Now they've, they've not released the figures, but Martin Ziegler in the Times said that they've put another £50 million pounds in it, in, in, which will come in, in tranches. Um, I think... Uh, and, and then Radrazani told us recently that that figure, well, it might, not be, okay, it might be a bit more than £50 million. So for me, that could be anything from working capital to repaying Radrazani's loans to, to whatever. I don't see it as being fundamental in um, having helped Leeds' revenues. I think it's probably helped by a few players last summer, um, what have you, you know, which is when they did spend effectively about £100 million on, on, on players. Um, so I wouldn't put it down to 49ers. I think Leeds have always had comparatively speaking to other clubs because of the fan base, you know, a decent revenue streams. It's just never been maximised to its potential, but I think we're seeing that now. And I think largely Rajasani's managed to do that with his with his team and they've, they've got the ante over the last few years. So I think it's largely down to the existing owner rather than the 49ers. However, I think their influence is to come and I think they're definitely being looked at as a global brand. I mean, they're, they're, their fan base is huge. I mean, they... You know, I mean, like Everton is a massive is a massive draw, obviously, because of the heritage and history and and the, and the family. And considering it's a you know two club city, um, you know, Everton's draw is huge. Leeds is a one club city, as you know. It's had this massive fan base in Scandinavia since the seventies, when 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 they were obviously in their pomp and they were they were screened a lot there, you know, on the television. So they've always had that. Uh, but their, their reach has been huge. Um, they're a massively popular club. So I think that's where people see the potential is the growth is, 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 is enormous. And, uh, and hence it's attractive to, to the 49ers who have a huge fan base themselves. And mm. I think there's some synergies that they can bring across. But yeah, um, I, I would see exponentially it will grow hugely. Will, um, it, will, sorry, it will grow exponentially will, will their revenues in terms of come if they keep this you know, management team and, and add to it. Which, and I think you'll see the 49ers take a very, very active role going forward in, in a lot of things that would, that would help that. So as we, as we debate this much vaunted office in North America, Paul, which you know, you've talked about on a couple of other podcasts, yep. You know, Everton and Leeds are competing for the same dollar, really, in North America. It, it, it strikes me as, as upcoming challenger brands with a little bit of history um, and, and, a, and a pretty solid local and, and an aspirational international fan base. We're competing for the same dollar. Um, which club do you think is better placed to, um, to do that from a commercial perspective with the people that it's got, the strategy it's got, the investment that it's got? Loaded question. <laughs> it's not going to. It's not going to surprise you if I say Leeds. Um, you know, having have, having listened to the guy, you know, the guys from the 49ers, they've got a clear strategy in mind. You know, they um, they, they understand how to market uh, football clubs or sports organisations. You know, um, 
they've been very successful in 49ers in doing that. And they're going to bring that over to Leeds. And one of the interesting things about Leeds is that they have a, as Adam was just saying, they have a very strong international support. You know, if you go to, if you look at Australia, various parts mm. of Southeast Asia, um, huge, well, I'd say huge, relatively huge um, following, g- given where the club has been for the last sort of 20, 25 years, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That that's 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 a really good point, that Paul. And 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 you've got to consider in that time more locally, you know, the Ken Bates era shoved prices up and lost a generation of fans. Seven thousand dropped off the gates, you know, and and you lose a generation of fans and the ability to generate some more fans off that if you're not careful. So the fact that it has stayed popular is quite quite something. You bang on though, Paul. That, that around the world is it's amazing when you see the supporters clubs and and. And associations that are linked with, with Leeds, it's um, it, it, it's it's there to be had for for marketeers, I would say. Yeah, but it, it's really interesting because uh, we're drawing to an end here because we've been talking for over an hour. But um, Everton in 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 North America, for for example, Adam, the there's a drive by the the, the fan the the, the, um, the fan clubs themselves, so the, the supporters mm. clubs in in the various large cities in the states. Have taken it upon themselves to uh, start, effectively start a you know a, a marketing movement themselves. So they are actually doing the promotion work um, for the club itself. They've got they've got yeah. so fed up waiting for the club to actually do something that yeah. Um, that there's a guy in Chicago who who's very good, and he, he's got them all together, and they're and they're all you know I, I can't say what their plans are because they they want to publish their plans. Uh, in the next yeah. few days, I think, but they've got significant plans um, to promote the club through the supporter clubs. Well, that's that that that's great, and I, and I think you know, I still, I I don't know, how you guys feel, but I I still feel like you know, Everton gets a bad rap as we know quite often here and unfairly, but it's the potential is huge, and again, you never felt. That, that the club has tapped into its potential, um, you know, to to expand. I don't hate using the term brand, but just its reach, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, it's just because there's so much there, isn't there? The heritage, the the, you know, the stories, the history, and, and you know what it's like. As soon as you get involved, you get touched by the club. It's just, you know, well, I don't know, it just seeps into your pores, doesn't it? And and and, and takes over. And there's so much that you to, just to sell it on. You know, it's it's so attractive. Um, massively, massively attractive, and yeah, and I just think they've they've always seemed to have fallen well short. That's really encouraging to hear that, though, Paul. That that that, that really is. No, I mean it, 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 it's uh, it's not yet well, it's sort of in the public domain because I've just mentioned it. But uh, when they actually put out their plans, I think a lot of mm. people are going to be very surprised by what what they're about to do, and um, it's driven by the fact that the club themselves aren't doing it, so they've taken it upon themselves, which is 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 fantastic. <sighs> Adam, you said you said a little earlier that you weren't yeah. you weren't great at predictions. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to take you back to the, actually. I've got two questions for you. So first of all, sure. where do you where do you think we're going to finish uh, the well, season? Ooh, right. I I before the season, Paul, I thought um, League Cup and a top six finish for Europa or for Europa League. Say. So I'm going to stick with the cup, although it's not the league cup. Um, so, but I do think 
top six is very, very achievable. And I thought it was going to be a stretch, to be quite honest. Um, but I do think they'll finish top six. And I know we're getting enticed into a post, can they make the top four? But genuinely, I think, I think they'll be in the top six this year. Good. Okay, well, I hope you're, I hope, I hope you're right. And the other question I wanted to ask you was, um, and maybe I should have cleared this with you before we started the podcast. No, nah, no problem. No. But I believe that you have got Dixie Dean's last ever autograph. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 right. Um, gosh, yeah, it's. Um, you want to know how I got it? Yeah. yeah. So if if, if you if you're prepared yeah, to tell the story, absolutely. Yeah, no problem. It's it's sort of really partly of like my background is is with Everton too, really. Um, my my stepfather was um, former chairman and director um, George Watts, and uh, who um, who married my mum in a second marriage. So uh, and. With that, we'd go to to Everton, and on the day of the derby, as it was, which we lost, as I recall, um, we was in the sort of directors' lounge, and Dixie was sat there in a wheelchair because uh, so he had his uh, one of his legs sort of amputated in, in in later life, and as we walked out, I was the last one out, as this was at half time, and sadly of course that you know the great man died yeah uh, i think not long after peter easto scored i think he might have been in the excitement i don't know but obviously and he, and he was sort of at the top of the stairs of the sort of director's lounge and um and then he'd signed the back of my program on the way and i was the last one out past him so obviously the game got underway easto scored as, as a record and, and and that's how the game finished and um Clearly, it was made, you know, obvious to us at the end that that, that, that sadly that um, that Dixie had died. So, so I have that program, um, which he signed the back of um, to this day. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, and that's how that's how it happened. Yeah. Um, well, wasn't Bill Shankly in the room as well? Wow. And now I don't remember that. To be quite honest, um, I I think I I'd have to go away and check, but I think there's I think there's photographs of. Bill Shankly and, and and Dixie Dean sitting together um, before the game started because they were great mates, weren't they? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I can't remember, honestly. I mean, okay. it been, it 1980, wasn't it? 1980, so, yeah. So I'd be 13 um, then, yeah, just, just either about to turn 13, isn't it? Yeah. I can't remember seeing Bill Shankly, but yeah, no, I remember right. distinctly and, then, and I still... I thought I'd lost it as well, you know, Paul and Roger, for, for many years. I thought my brother had nicked it. Um, so, uh, God rest him, late, but there was a, there was a Liverpool fan, actually. Um, he's no longer with us. But, um, yeah, so, and then I found it again. So, um, so yeah, I've, uh, wow. I, I, I have it. story. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, it was, as I say, that the history with the, with the club, really, was, was really, my, my great-grandfather was a goalkeeper. He was a copper in, in, from, from Liverpool. And he played in what would have been the old Zangari League, it would have been all those mm-hmm. years ago. And so sort of, this would be like the 20s, you know, whatever. Um, and was he born 1902, I think he was, uh, or 1900. So, um, and he was due to make his Everton debut against Crystal Palace in the FA Cup. And um, the, first, the first choice keeper was injured. Second choice keeper went down injured as well so he was due to play he was in the dressing room and then I think the first choice keeper came in with a cast on his arm or a bandage on his arm and actually played and Palace put seven past Everton at Goodison in the FA Cup that day so he never made his debut um, so but played you know reserve team 
football from, for, for many years while he was a policeman. My dad was a bit with his son was, was sort of a bit of both. And he used to take us, as I said at the beginning, my, my, my parents were divorced. So when my dad came, he went to live down. So when my dad came north, he would take us to, depending which weekend, Liverpool one week and Everton the next. And uh, my first Everton game was, was and I, I can remember the season, but I don't know if you can remember this, guys. It was the Carlisle United season when... Um, well, we lost both the, games. We lost both 75, games. 75, yeah. And they were relegated. And we, should have, yeah. we would have won the league if we'd have beaten them just once, I think. That's right. So that season, we did it twice. We were two up, I think, in two games. It was Carlisle and Sheffield United, and we lost 3-2 both games. I think my first ever game at Goodison was the Carlisle one because I remember it being cold and I think that was sort of before the Christmas and I remember getting a Bob Latchard Rosetti he was my 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 hero my first footballing hero <laughs> um but we did go to both uh, grounds you know like like a lot of kids did I suppose and I saw two great teams but uh, and I saw Latchard score his 30th goal um um at Goodison you know that 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 great another great season where things should have been better and yeah so um and funny enough, I've only just found out recently on my, my wife's side, who's um, uh, her dad was Irish and her mum was from, from Singapore. Her uncle scored at Goodison for the Republic of Ireland boys um, as, as a youngster. So, and, uh, and more recently, my son Cameron, who's he's not a ref anymore, but um, he he refereed at Goodison recently in a sort of uh, charity game. So somewhere on the line, um, it's always been there. In, in a weird way in, in the family. And uh, yeah, so yeah, just and, and but I've got to say when it comes down to supporting the club um, like my brother-in-law, Martin was the, is the one um, that's who is known as Marty's blues on Twitter, him and his, his boys, um, Sam and, and Jacob and, and the lads, Borley and, 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 and Mike Roberts and stuff that Martin was the one that really got me because he was absolutely bonkers blue. Um, and I, I always remember going to Newport away in the FA Cup with him on the old soccer special. <laughs> and uh, God rest me, Eddie Cavana was there selling the golden goals, whatever, on the way down the six-hour journey to Newport where Aldridge scored for for uh, Newport, as I recall. And I think Sheedy got us a late equaliser to to get a, to save our blushes and send us back up to Goodison. And, and that trip was just brilliant because the match was incidental although Cardiff Millwall was called off and they sent both sets of fans into the Newport ground with us so that was a riot wasn't it literally um we got bricked on the way out of Newport on the soccer special I remember too so we were feasting all the way home police dogs were attacking us also it was bonkers but but yeah our, our Martin my brother-in-law married to my sister uh who's uh, who lives in Ormsgate he's the one that's responsible for me being being a blue um and uh yeah they're uh they're, they're fervent so you can imagine the conversation we're having last night after the the, the Leeds game which, uh, I can imagine yeah and, and like you say guys you know you want a bit of silver because we're of that age where we've seen it and we've lived through the great times you know particularly in the 80s and you know okay I wasn't old enough to see you know in the late end of the 60s and stuff and what have you but you just want silverware for so like the ones behind us can, can remember what it feels like and, and so you do measure Yes, it's great to have the School of Science or great to have Bielsa Ball, whatever. But, you know, you do want to see something at the end of it, don't you? Just so that they can remember, yes, I was there or not at the moment when we won something. But these margins are so tight, though, aren't they? You know, margins and in individual games and individual games in knockout football are so tight, you know. If things had gone differently in that cup final in 
85, you know, um, <laughs> Whiteside curled it round or if oh. anything had gone different against Bayern Munich or if we'd had to play Celtic in the final rather than Rapid Vienna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these margins are so, so tight. You know, if Lineker had actually scored in Oxford. Uh, in Oxford, yeah, he remembered and, his boots. Yeah. And, and if, if that handball by Hansen had been given, if the oh, Brian Hamilton yeah, goal, you know, yeah. we have this history of being cursed, don't we, with, with ill fortune. But those margins are so tight. And, and I've had this discussion with so many people this season in particular with Everton. You know, we could finish fourth, we could finish 10th, you know. And, and when sides like West Ham are winning, we're not, you know, Wolves are out of it. And, and I think Leeds are really out of contention for, for, for those, you know, five, six, seven positions. But, but Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, mm. Liverpool even, who've just lost at home to Burnley and, 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 and bloody Brighton, you know. Mm. Every game uh, uh, is... Is on a knife edge. And last night, ask yourself this, would we have got a win with Jordan Pickford in goal? Well, that, do you know what? As soon as it was announced that he was not playing, Leeds fans were going, oh my word, that's advantage uh, Everton. You know, I, I'm, I'm a bit more benign with him because um, uh, I have to say, I do, I do describe him as a box of frogs. Uh, I've been mightily impressed with Olsen and I wouldn't drop him for the Manchester United game. Because I thought his display yesterday was assured, and uh, and particularly the second half, quite brilliant actually. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't drop it, but I, I, I'm a lot kinder, I'd say, to Pickford than than maybe the average Evertonian. But that might be because I don't see him as much as as you guys do, you know. Um, yeah, it's harsh, isn't it? Because you know we are used to, of course, we're not used to Southall, but we remember. Yeah. Big the number of times he saved us and we won games because of him with dramatic saves. And you can argue that Olsen won the game for us last night with those three saves. But the problem is with Pickford, he's got history. There's quite a decent report card where he's, he hasn't, maybe he hasn't saved us, but he bloody cost us, you know, mm. there, there, you can, you could quite easily draw up a list of five, seven, even more points that he's cost us this season alone. Um, and, and your goalkeeper has to be the most reliable member of your team. And the fact is, he's the least. So it's quite difficult. These next two games, United and Spurs, they are as big as they come. And it's all very well and good to raise your game at Leeds on a Wednesday night when you've just had an ear bashing off Carlo. Can we do it in the next two games when the chips are down? Away at United and at home to Spurs. That will be the, it's the absolute crossroads of our season, these next two games. Absolutely. You totally, totally, totally agree. Yeah, Adam, yeah, th- thank you so much for your time. Um, oh, <laughs> I'm going to draw it to a close, otherwise <laughs> I'm sure we could carry on talking for hours. It's um, been a really Any interesting time, chat. Um, and you'd be very welcome to come back and, 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 and chat further with us at, at any time. Um, but thank you for your time and thank you, thank you for your stories. Um, fa- fascinating stuff, fascinating stuff about Leeds as well. Um, and Roger, as always, th- uh, thank you too. Pleasure. And yeah. I just say dirty leads once. Can you just put that down? <laughs> that, was a, that was a southern press invention, wasn't it, in the 70s? They didn't like the northerners giving it to, uh, no. to them, did they? That was it. So, uh, now, guys, great. And I've got to say, and I know I've said this to you well, privately, I think the work that you do in making it understandable in layperson's terms what's happening in the finance at the club and keeping a watchful eye is really important. It really, but it's people shy away from like they do from doing taxes and what have you because they think they can't understand it or it's not interesting. It's vital that an eye is kept on what clubs are doing, and I think it's fantastic that you do that and, and make it uh, understandable for uh, 
with fairly ignorant journalists like myself at times as well as fans. Oh, that's, that, 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 that's very kind of you. Thank you, Adam.